Star Trek, The Nerdy Frontier. These are the discussions of the Good Time Society. Their continuing mission to explore each episode, to seek out new topics and ridiculous observations, to boldly watch what they've already watched before. Uh, my name is Jake Michaels. I'm your host, along with Becca Scott. I'll say my own name into the microphone. Well, you haven't said it yet. <laughs> <laughs> and Xander Genre. Uh, Ensign Xander Genre reporting for duty. Uh, so you have two pips up on oh, your... Oh, so yeah, I'm a lieutenant then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know I was going to get Trek checked right off the bat. <laughs> uh, Xander is the Trekkie among us who has a comms button on badge. his lapel badge. I'm getting Trek checked, no, 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 which no. is a phrase I just learned. <laughs> I just want to help you. <laughs> Thank you. No, please, Trek check up and down. Well, let's actually start with the basis of how much we do know about yeah, Star yeah, Trek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Becca, curious. let's actually start with you. Like, what's your experience with Star Trek? Well, hi, I'm Becca Scott. I am a podcaster. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, that's my bio. And <laughs> <laughs> What's your Star Trek bio? My Star Trek bio is I watched it when it originally came out. In 1965 or 66? No. no, the next, okay. gen. next gen. When did Next Gen come out? Uh, 1987 was, I believe, the first season. Right. Oh, then I watched reruns with mm -hmm. my mom. Yeah. Well, but it still aired like up until like 95 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and it was in syndication on ABC for a yeah. long time. Well, the truth is I haven't seen it since then, except for the episodes when Data goes back in time, because <laughs> I just randomly turned those on one day. And when he <laughs> was goes, it a fistful of Datas? Like it was a Western? Yeah, it was a Western. Oh my God. He plays yeah. Good episode. Yeah, it was a... It was actually a double parter. I think Whoopi's in it. Yes. Anyway, uh, that's what I know okay. about Next Gen. Uh, vague recollections You've got it, um, of under <laughs> 10 years old. But my mom was very, very into Next Gen. Mm -hmm. And I, I've seen all the movies. Wow. All the new movies, all the next oh, generation anything movies. Anything with Patrick Stewart in it. Okay. Wow, that's yeah. impressive. Well, so, and all the new movies. Of so course. a lot of your observations are going to be kind of comparing your childhood memories to some of these episodes and your Which current, is legit. And your current take on it. Sure. I don't know that I have that many. You don't memories. remember it that much. Mm. See, I, I, I mean, there's a sort of like, oh yeah. <laughs> Every time, I mean, uh, these are characters that we all think about and are in the collective unconscious all the time. So it's not like I ever forgot about Deanna Troy. Oh yeah. I have so I much forget. to say about Deanna Troy, but I'll hold on to it for now. Well, so actually, I think I'll go next because I actually have about like the next step up of experience. So I also watched TNG just like you when it was in reruns and also still coming on the air. Mm -hmm. So I think I started watching around the same time and I have a pretty distinct memory of a fair amount of these episodes. I don't, I don't think I watched all of them, but I'd say I, I at least probably saw like 70 to 90 percent oh wow uh so i will definitely remember certain moments and i definitely remember this episode encounter at farpoint yeah. oh yeah for sure uh it's a big the, one. Oh my gosh the saucer separation. yeah 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 okay but before we do let's yes. talk about you xander genre because yeah. you know a lot about star trek well you do well it's the thing <laughs> the thing is like i i didn't for a long time my i grew up watching it with my dad who was really into it and i hated it when I was a kid, I thought Deanna Troy was stupid. Uh, I was like, there doesn't need to be a counselor on a starship. There needs to be more weapons. I want more lasers and fighting. And da -da -da. You were anti-mental health back then. I was. Okay, I just great. wanted action, and I <laughs> didn't get it. And uh, and then I lost my dad to cancer when I was 15. And so uh, going, I, I, I sort of locked that away type of thing. Yeah. Then I did a reality show called King of the Nerds. And through that, 
uh, I started talking to people who were very, very passionate about Star Trek. And I was like, I don't know, this was this thing that, that from my childhood I didn't really care about, didn't really like. And then Netflix happened. Yeah. And I got suddenly access to everything. So I was like, you know, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. So I started with the original series and I watched all of it. The original series? Mm -hmm. Well, I watched all of the original series. I watched Next Gen. I watched uh, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, so you did it all animated series. Chronologically, in terms of mm -hmm. its release. So you have I wanted some, to have that experience. That's so cool. Yeah. You did it right. Well, yeah, I did it away. Uh, but I don't want to discourage anyone from getting into Trek because there's a lot. Um, but but anywhere can be your access point. You just like you said, watching Fistful of Datas is amazing, and it's wherever you have fun with it. That's where where you kind of connect with Trek. For me, I found that now as an adult, I connect with it way more, and I get it. Yeah, and it helps me sort of connect with my dad in a way of like the the things that he believed in, and it's sort of a way that I can tap into that. That's you know, really great. Right? I love that. Well, Trek means so much to different people. And yeah. for those of you listening, whether you had have never seen an episode right. of Star Trek or if you're a huge fan and you have a lot of corrections to give us, yeah, uh, yeah. either way, wherever you are <laughs> in that range, uh, we're happy to bring you along for this journey with us as yeah. we go through the entirety of the next generation. Absolutely. We're giving people a, a portal, if yes. you will. A What's Wormhole? it called when they... Um, go blue and fuzzy and oh, trans trans we're giving people a transportation <laughs> hub pad, into bad yeah. oh man <laughs> the footnotes are just growing by the minute I'm it's learning great. I learned very quickly no, great. like is a an gift. android yeah well here's the thing in that I'm so excited for you and I find I find this with Dungeons and Dragons I find that with anything that I'm passionate about I get so excited to introduce these things to my friends and people that I know will love it and I know you're going to love this. I know that the production value will continue to increase. And you know, that's what I'm excited about. I was impressed. There's a lot of impressive things about this. In yeah. fact, before we get into the full episode, let's right. actually talk about Next Generation real quick and explain yeah. what it is. Because the original series, it was the show from uh, was the middle of the 60s to like yes. 67 to 69. William Shatner. Yes, yeah. exactly. So that show was popular, but it was canceled and got more popular once it was in syndication. I think a lot of people forget this or look, overlook it, but Star Trek, the original series, only has three seasons. Yeah, it's a, it's and it's a just short the show. same thing played over and over again. But, but when it was... you talk like this, <laughs> it fills a lot of air. That's the thing: is the pacing of the original series is tough to get through because it's very slow and very much like the the older. Uh, style of television. They're kind of a slow mysteries in a yeah. lot of them, as I recall, right? I remember props made of cardboard. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of physical uh, props. And, and the thing is, I'll go into this in this one too, but in the original series, like the rumor was that they didn't really have a budget because it was this offbeat sci-fi show. So they would take costumes and sets from whatever was around and be like, oh, this is, these are aliens. Why are they all dressed like 1920s mobsters? Well, this planet is full of 1920s. And That's so they amazing. just used whatever they had. Doctor Who was, was doing the same thing uh, over in the UK. They would just use whatever they had and like, this is an alien now. I feel like Doctor Who props tend to come out of some British man's apartment. He's like, okay, this lamp is good enough to be a transporter. So what, was, what household product was a Dalek originally? I bet it was a plunger and a wastebasket turned upside down. Yep. Someone going into a cup like, exterminate. <laughs> uh, after it goes into syndication, it 
rises in popularity. Like mm-hmm. the, the conventions happen and the cast is actually has can make a small career out of like going to these things. I've right? talked to people that have gone to the original like conventions and they're like, it was a small hotel in the middle of Wisconsin that you just show up and there's a table with William Shatner and you just talked for a bit and then they played an episode. That's so crazy. And it was like 40 people. And that's yeah. it. I was like, that's mind boggling to think about now. And yeah. then it turns out aliens actually <laughs> see the broadcast, real right. aliens from outer space, and assume, yeah, I'm talking about the documentary Galaxy Quest. <laughs> what a great parody of Star Trek in general, right? It's, because it's beautiful. It, it opens up that fourth wall in terms of like what the actors went through and yeah. like how their careers were defined by that. Yep. Patrick Stewart is an incredible actor. I mean, mm-hmm. I know him as uh, Macbeth for the BBC, yeah. but Sir Patrick Stewart is always Captain Picard to most people. Yeah, absolutely. I did. Uh, I was telling Jake earlier, uh, two, maybe three years ago, I was able to go to Star Trek Las Vegas, which is like a big Star Trek convention. And they had uh, Patrick Stewart and uh, like oh. the whole, like Gates McFadden and uh, Marina Sirtis, like everybody was guests there. And they would give panels where they would just talk and they would dish about behind the scenes. But one of the things that Patrick Stewart talks about is like, he's like, I'm so sick of Earl Grey tea. Everybody <laughs> brings it. To me. Please stop bringing me tea. It's not the most attractive. Of the teas. <laughs> no. It's pretty boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's super British though. As the as it gets popular, they try to uh make another Star Trek called Star Trek Phase Two. It doesn't happen. Uh it gets never caught heard up of in, that. Get, mm-hmm. Because it never aired. It, yep. it got caught up in development hell, and eventually the scripts for it, one of them got turned into Star Trek the Motion Picture, uh-huh. which happened in I think 79 or so. And some people like to call that Star Trek the non-motion picture, because it is slow. Uh, I've never seen <laughs> seen that one you don't need to <laughs> but then eventually there was enough push to get it back onto tv and the next generation happened so in 1987 we got uh encounter at far point which is what we're talking about today now i'm asking a stat that i know is not in front of you but maybe we can look it up how big was this original airing were there that's a great was there question. A huge cult following that was just dying to watch it live the first time it was broadcast. Here's the thing that I know that the execs didn't have a clear idea of who the audience was for this because original Star Trek, uh, it was a lot of kids that loved it, that grew up in the 60s and are now adults in the 90s, right? Or the late 80s, early 90s. But the appeal for them in the 60s was that they were kids. So now they're like, do we appeal to the nostalgia of the adults or is this a kid's show? No, adult nostalgia all the way. Well, they kind of split the difference with the introduction of Wesley Crusher. They had a a, a vehicle for a kid who could watch and be a part of the thing. Didn't work on me. You know, yeah, it didn't work on me either. I don't think it worked on anybody because they kind of rode too much in the middle. They played neither side. But then they picked a side and it was adults. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) which I think was the right choice. I think so too. But Will Wheaton was the right choice for casting. What a heartthrob. Will, if you're listening, we love you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, d- I did pull it up on Wikipedia, however accurate this is. I know it has footnotes. Uh, the show was broadcast on both 98 independent stations and 112 network affiliates. Uh, overall, it aired to an audience of 27 million people. Dang! The show was immediately called the highest rated syndicated one-hour drama series on television. Holy cow! So I think it actually was highly viewed, yeah. And they put in a good time slot. I think it was like prime time. Well, I feel... I can feel in my bones, I feel an emotion that we are going to get into the episode soon. But I just want to say, just overall, how crazy that is that 27 million people watched, which sounds like, to me, like a Game of Thrones level of audience. Yeah, right. And yet the production quality (laughs) and storytelling 
of those two things are so vastly different. Well, we have to remember this is a pilot. But anyway, the show was pretty popular yeah, and it yeah. spawned into seven seasons. So let's just talk about episode one, Encounter at Farpoint. Right, right. Oh, before we get too far into that. <laughs> no, though, we're so far I into it. I want to talk about casting because you talked about Patrick Stewart, right? Well, we should probably, in case people haven't watched in many years, yeah. uh, of course we all know Patrick Stewart, but maybe when we refer, you can oh, refresh us on character names and uh, actor names because every other name that you threw out I don't know. <laughs> gotcha, 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 gotcha. So Sir Patrick Stewart plays Jean-Luc Picard, the captain of the USS Enterprise D. Um, but originally, they weren't sure about his baldness. Oh, it he works. was a fantastic actor. Like they saw him perform. I think it was a Shakespeare play that they saw him perform on stage, and they're like, "Yes, this is what we want. This is this energy. We really wanted him to have a French accent because they wanted Jean-Luc Picard, and then they wanted him to have hair. So there's like test footage uh, of him with this wig that they tried to pull off. Yeah, that's it on Google. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. No way. Uh, that was the Picard that we almost got, and it was with a French accent and everything. And it, uh, yeah. If and I'm sure he could have don't have off. access to the show notes, it's uh, pretty much Patrick Stewart yeah, with like a dad haircut. what you see. It's, it's a receded hairline. It yeah. kind of... The oh, line is pretty good for like a lace front. It really re- resembles some... Actor that plays a dad, Malcolm in the Middle. Uh, yes! Oh, Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston. Yeah, this is that. young Brian Cranston. Yeah, before he also was baldly Heisenberg. There was right? this weird prejudice against like a bald man being the captain, yes. whereas like William Shatner was kind of a, considered a beefcake, right? Right. So, so he he comes out in, in the episode, and you see it full on. They they don't hide it, and they make a point of like this captain has a bit of hair, but it, mostly it's bald, and this is a, a strong in charge, like kind of curmudgeonly man. He looks great. He looks great. And and in the panel, Patrick Stewart said like people came up to him immediately that were bald and were like, thank you. That's awesome. Finally, we have someone on television that looks like me and yeah. I feel sexy and I never do because I'm bald and like no one else was doing that. Yeah, not until Major Dad was that revolution. He right? turned bald into the sex symbol that it is really? today. And that it is today. Him, Bruce, Bruce Willis, they had it all down. Yeah. <laughs> and they were in some like tight uniforms. They were. Too. They talked about that. They they petitioned to get like the um the looser uniforms in the later seasons yeah. because you couldn't you can do anything. Well, you can tell their posture is a little like rough because they're standing up very straight but it looks strained because the spandex or whatever it is is pulling on their back absolutely also the it's probably super hot under those lights in that material and and those that didn't breathe at all you can tell hey guess what i don't care about any of that i like them in spandex it's true they look great (laughs) well if we're gonna start with Mm -hmm. the episode and we're gonna start with costumes yes our first scene i believe is on the bridge Mm -hmm. yeah and you very quickly meet Counselor Deanna Troy. Yes. In her goddamn uniform yeah. mini skirt okay. and high boots. What is that about, Xander? I would love to talk about this. I'm sure you this would. This is one of my favorite things. I'm okay. very conflicted about it. Okay, you're gonna love this. Maybe. In the <laughs> 60s, uh, so so Gene Roddenberry is the person that kind of helmed Star Trek, right? He was he's kind of the one that 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 wrote the whole thing. He's the one that got it started in the 60s and is still involved with it to this day. There's an amazing story about him on an airplane. He was I think he was a pilot. Uh, you can look it up. Definitely look it up. Uh, but anyway, he's now involved with the next generation as well. And so he's all for equality. He's the one that's pushing the envelope forward. Uh, Lieutenant 
Uhura yes. back in the day. Yeah. Uh, so black woman on screen yep. with the first interracial kiss. Exactly. I know some trivia. That's exactly right. <laughs> and Uhura was wearing that skirt because the network was pushing for sexy and they wanted something that would sell, right? Oh my God. So when it comes to next generation, we have what's called the scant uniform. So it looks like a like a mini skirt type of thing. But in especially this first episode, they make it a point to show that men and women wear the scant. Yeah. What? Yeah. When were my eyes closed? Oh my God. You have to watch again there's actually a scene where when they are uh separating the saucer there's mm-hmm. a crowd scene mm-hmm. and there's one uh officer who's uh, actually i think he's a lieutenant sure, sure. uh wearing yeah, there you go. a scant uniform i will also watch put this again. in the show notes because men and women are wearing the scant uniform and then at a time watch for it in the future picard wears the scant uniform with pants, I Wait, think, right? Uh, or leggings, maybe? I don't think so. Ooh, it's like a Scottish that. thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, cool. I'm a fan so, of the scant uniform, especially men in scant uniforms. Absolutely. Deanna Troy is about to go on a long and fraughtful journey with the uniform, so... She has so many costume changes throughout the series. Hold on to this while you have According it. According to the art of Star Trek, the skirt design for the men's scant was a logical development, given the total equality of the sexes presumed to exist in the 24th century. See, I sound like Wikipedia. That is incredible. Well, speaking of Wikipedia, Jake, can you give us like the Wikipedia version of what it says this episode is? And we'll go from there in case people haven't watched in a billion years. Uh, so Memory Alpha is actually right. the the Wikipedia of or the wiki of dominant Star Trek fans. Uh, this one is pretty much that Captain Jean-Luc Picard leads the crew of the USS Enterprise D on its maiden voyage to examine the new planetary system for trade within the Federation. On the way, they... <laughs> Sorry, in gay world, examining for trade means something else. <laughs> <laughs> on the way, they encounter Q, an, an omnipotent extra-dimensional being who challenges humanity as a barbaric inferior species species. Picard and the new crew must hold off Q's challenge and solve the puzzle of Farpoint Station and Dead M4, a base that is far more than it seems to be. A base that is far more than it seems to be. That sentence is a little more than it needs to be. <laughs> You're not wrong. I had a quick question about like the meta of this, because I don't remember of the time. Was John Delancey like a big deal before Star Trek? I think he was a stage actor like Picard or like a... Who's John Delancey? John Delancey plays Q. Oh. He was like a big deal before he was on Trek, but I couldn't, I didn't really know. And Judging I didn't by the research. amount of makeup he's wearing, he yeah. was definitely a big deal. Those lips too, they were oh well lined. Amazing. So this goes into uh, one of the points that I had before. We've got the appearance of Q, right? And one... he never comes back, right? So oh. on the budget for this pilot, We've got alien makeup budget, right? And you can only- And it all goes to Worf. It all goes to Worf and it all goes to Data. Can we talk about, but Worf's coloring on his- looks amazing. But the coloring on his head does not match the skin coloring of Michael Dorn quite. It looks a little like pancake batter up there. Like it gets better throughout the series for sure. I didn't want to be rude and comment on, but yeah, oh, yeah I thought yeah, it was yeah. weird. I right? thought it was a yeah, little. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe they hadn't dialed in the lighting on him yet. I mean, yeah. again, it's the pilot, so they're they're still making, they're still finding a lot of the intricacies of yes. the details. Going off of that too, um, the data makeup, uh, the uniforms changed colors for the departments. Do you want to know why? It's to match Data's makeup. That's the reason they changed the the uniform colors. Okay, in original series, uh, the uh, security officers were red and the command was yellow. That's why Captain Kirk is in like a gold uniform, right? Right. But Jean-Luc Picard is in a red uniform. Because he looks great in red. He looks great in red and Data's makeup didn't match well with the red makeup when they tested it. Oh yeah, like uh, ketchup and mustard. Yeah, the casting designers were just like, oh fuck it, let's put him in yellow. And then the Trek people were like, wait, you can't just 
change the department? And they're like, yes, we can. It's the military. That happens all the time. And they're like, okay. So red is command. Red Yellow command. is operations. Yellow is operations and engineering. Uh-huh. And blue is sciences. Blue is sciences. Yep. Got it. Okay. Huh. That's And starting with next generation, that is the color scheme now. And counseling counts as a science. Yes. Hmm. Exactly. And uh, so far, the scientists we've met are women. Yeah. Mm. Three. Oh, also. Three women uh, that are regular cast members in this, which actually it gets knocked down to two for much of the show, right? Because Yar leaves later? Well, yes. I didn't remember Yar. Be- I Tasha remember Yar? her face, but I didn't remember her being a person on the bridge. I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on Tasha, because mostly because right now I have the same haircut as her, just blue. Um, but she is one of my favorite it's characters. Working. Thank you. Uh, and and I wanted to see what your thoughts were as a, f- a, a lady chief of security because it sort of puts her in that damsel of dis- in distress like instantly. But she is strong, but she gets sort of captured or oh, I didn't see her as getting captured, incapacitated. Look, she's just stupid brute muscle, always thinking <laughs> with her aggro brain. And we locked unlock some of her backstory of a tough orphan streets. Oh right, there was some. Acting. I was gonna say she is delivering. Yeah. Like uh, Denise Crosby is chewing it up. She like, was there to it, act. She was. She told the. She told the captain, "I am the chief of security. And I can't allow that." He's like, "No shit." Yeah, 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 yeah. So here's one of the things that I love about pilots, and one of the things that on the inside of the industry you can kind of look for. Mm-hmm. I look for the audition scenes. Yeah. So in a pilot, you can see like, oh, it's oh god, my favorite. Yeah, Tasha Yar's audition scene was that backstory during the court scene. You mean? Yeah, during the court scene. Yes. Because normally the audition scene is the best acted scene in the pilot because it's the one that the actor has prepared the most. Yeah. When they're being interrogated by Q in that part, and then she yeah. comes up with that monologue, it's yeah. like suddenly we're doing a. Christmas Carol audition and she's giving that speech about redemption. Uh, it's just so yes, heavy yes. all of a sudden. I blacked it out um, <laughs> personally. I just was like, I can't right now. <laughs> this is not the time or place to give me your backstory. Right. Come on, Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> well, and Data's dialogue was also probably in the yes. beginning a very good example of what his audition was, which was was the you know the techno babble in the what is snooping? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that and then the techno babble in the holodeck with Riker, I think, is the other audition yeah. scene. I think a it's call. a sort of so okay. There's the, there's the save the cat, the book everybody mm-hmm. talks about. Yep. Like it's sort of the first impression yes. of a character. You kind of have to encapsulate everything that is yeah. that struggle. And I don't know how much in the past there had been this sort of lifelike, robotic, humanoid thing that's struggle is trying to be human. Was Data one of the first? Well, sorry, I keep talking, but... (laughs) Are you going to compare him to Spock? Yes, these are the questions. These are great questions. Oh, as did some random-ass old man who's on the ship in the second part of the episode. Oh, no, okay, yes. Oh, you're like one of those Vulcans, aren't you? (laughs) There's a few times in this episode where they really point to what they're trying to do. That is an example. Same at the very end as well. The thing is, and I found while watching this again, I think this episode does a really great job of setting the trajectory of these characters characters we know what everybody's motivations are we know that there's something going on uh the the decision to have x couples both deanna troy and uh riker and something weird with uh beverly crusher, crusher mm-hmm. and jean-luc picard was i i thought i was a detective because i figured <laughs> these ones out but that wasn't 
done. They were only looking at each other for like a minute and a half. <laughs> right, right, right. But that wasn't done on TV. Like, it, or especially in this world where they wanted like the perfect thing. That's where the conflict was coming from. And that was so interesting. So behind the scenes a little bit, Gene Roddenberry was actually against uh, interpersonal dynamics yes. on the show because he was more interested in the science utopia. and the mystery. And the, the utopia, he thought that there would be so many of these social problems solved that there wouldn't be a lot of interpersonal dynamic issues on right. board oh, these starships. So that was a struggle for a long time. Yeah. In these, and you will see it a little bit more in the first season when he had a lot of control over the writing. It, that's kind of absent, kind of not, or they try to incorporate it into the mystery. One of the biggest complaints from the writers' room was that there was no conflict, and mm -hmm. so they had a hard time coming up with plots and things for the characters to do because everything was perfect. Oh man, I can't wait to see how season two changes up. <laughs> here's here's what I wrote. <laughs> about uh, their relationship. Um, is there going to be a subplot where Picard is actually Wesley's father, but Dr. Crusher <laughs> never told her dead husband, and they just decide, decided long ago to never tell anyone about their affair? Because, the damn, those were some hard eyes. So many <laughs> long, hard swallows. <laughs> you can hold on to that theory the whole time. Because it could be true. Wait, don't tell me it's not proven. It's not. You, who knows? I've literally said no spoilers. But that's the thing. That's the exciting thing is that you can full on hold on to that theory. <laughs> let's, I will. Let's move on to those. So we've been introduced to a lot of the yeah. characters. We still haven't actually even been introduced to the other half of the cast yet. We don't even get yeah. to them to like a third of the way through the show. Right. But we actually, uh, we get a threat. We get Q. Yes. He comes on. Or wait, actually the, the, the net happens first. Yeah, the Windows screensaver. <laughs> they run from that. And I think that's when they decide to separate the saucer, right? Because they're under threat. Wait, before threat. all that, there's one more thing I have to mention about the first scene on the bridge, which is day one with Captain Picard. Mm. He yells, shut off that damn noise. Yeah. To red alert. Immediately yeah. loses his temper. Yeah. What kind of captain cannot keep his cool for five goddamn minutes? I think they're trying to reflect the fact that this is a new ship for him yeah. and he's not sure exactly what's going on. Is this galaxy? Is this the only galaxy class ship at this point? Yes, it's brand new. This is the new Enterprise too, so it's got a legacy that it's it's built up. Around yeah. To it. be clear, the first Enterprise from the from the series was called uh, just USS One Seven Zero One. Seventeen Oh One. Yeah. So then each one thereafter had a letter designation, and this is D. So this is right. the fifth iteration of the ship. So there's a lot of pressure. I, my eyes glazed over. It's all good. It's all good. But yeah, I wrote down that we get introduced to Captain Asshole Picard, and then uh, <laughs> later on we get Commander Stickler Asshole Riker. Yeah, and then, they're both so military, and they warm each other up, and that's the Ooh. thing that I really loved about this. I can't wait till he, Riker's warmed up enough to to saddle up on a chair backwards. Oh God, the Riker maneuver. The Riker It'll happen. Maneuver? So there's the Picard Maneuver and the Riker Maneuver. Both of these are actual maneuvers in the world of Star Trek, but in the fandom, it's, <laughs> it's Patrick Stewart pulling down his shirt, like, Hup! that's the Picard Maneuver, and the Riker Maneuver is swinging a chair backwards and swinging your leg over it because he had spine problems, so he couldn't sit down and oh, stand up. Oh, is that correct. why? Yeah. I thought it was just because Frakes is just so tall, well, he that, could. Yeah. He would sometimes <laughs> walk up and step over the back yes. of the chair. Yes. It was the easiest way for him to get in and out of chairs, <laughs> is what he says. <laughs> uh, That's nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Why would the chair need to be backwards? You yeah. could just sit wide-legged upon it. It's called manspreading. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, I love that. Uh, and it was something that I remembered 
from the compilation videos on YouTube. Yes. Also, we get the introduction of Beardless Riker, which is, it's so unsettling. Oh, yeah, he's a baby. <laughs> Don't spoil it for her. She <laughs> doesn't know about the beard she yet. She knows. She knows. <laughs> so let's let's talk about plot. So uh, the the screensaver occurs. They figure yeah. they need to run from it. And right. Q shows up on the ship. He shows up as like a 16th century European guy. And yeah. is it my imagination or was he, did he have a little bit of like, tone makeup like bronzer yeah. on him so right? well here's the thing is that they were still filming it in the same with the same techniques that they were using from the 60s because gene roddenberry was like i know how to do this and so if you look at the original series like the the men have full-on like blue eyeshadow because it would make their eyes pop. yeah Spock so there's especially. a lot of these techniques that sort of change they're like he was an alien so let's just change it a little bit but use the costumes that we have in storage so all <laughs> the whole thing with q changing the outfits was totally a jab at the original series not a jab an homage like yeah, a, a, a format of yeah. the original series was changing his outfit a bunch yeah. of times it, because it was showing these different outfits. That's the how they made him omnipotent, right? And it's the same thing that they would do in the original series. It was what a cheap way to do a it. A cheap way to do it. And when they go to the court, it's a whole bunch of people like humans in costume because they didn't have an alien budget. They spent it all on Data and Worf. Oh right, it's a pilot. Yeah, they didn't uh, have anything. Budget is the reason for that. Okay. Yeah. I just thought. When I saw us go to this mystical magical courtroom right. on another plane of existence that was full of peasants in mm. medieval garb, mm. uh, Renaissance? Actually, the future. It's uh, humans oh, oh, thank in you. the future, like the post-apocalyptic. Well, our future, right? Yeah. It's the 21st century. Uh, right. Data actually says, historically intriguing, Captain, Yeah, which is a weird line. <laughs> historically it's, intriguing. Uh, it, and actually, Picard calls it the post-atomic horror. Exactly. So in Star Trek lore, horror. there was a bad... Yeah, horror. <laughs> Not uh, post-atomic horror. <laughs> there, was a, uh, there was nuclear wars, right, that pretty yes. much leveled most of Earth? Yep. Mm -hmm. So we took to the stars. And that's what those, I guess that's what those costumes were with the snow, the drug sniffing snowsuits. That was the 90s. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah. So this is the late 80s. So this is the dare era of like drugs are the worst thing oh, that could ever happen to anyone. Yeah. So the future of humanities, we're all relying on these drugs for sure. <laughs> so that was so interesting. He He's changing it. He changes into a sexy like 19... 40s uh, <laughs> uniformed Did you officer. think it's sexy because it's a military uniform? No, 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 no. The, the like Green Beret got outfit. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, that was sexy. <laughs> We're still not thinking that's like sexy. But yeah. I mean, I think it's sexy. Uh, Don't bump me in with you. AF. <laughs> and then he goes into like a snowsuit right. where he's <laughs> right. sniffing cocaine. Yeah. With it's from the Illuminati. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. There is an Illuminati mm -hmm. symbol up there, kind of. I thought that was really interesting to say that. Oh, you're so noble as the human race, and yet you have this military force, right? Which is completely drugged all the time, like a very Brave New World, Elders Huxley yes. kind of, um, like opiate of That's the masses. That's exactly right. Yeah. But but I didn't remember Star Trek having a military like early, oh that's early because starfleet is the military right yeah. and that's an interesting thing that you'll we'll actually explore a lot more throughout the series is yeah. what, what starfleet's role is whether they are like uh scientists or adventurers and explorers or military because and it's they an are era of things. peace which the other one was exploration so it was like we're on the new frontier what's out there but now we're kind of discovered it all now it's how do we let all of this work together yes yeah, diplomacy and yeah. bringing it all in yeah in the middle of my notes it says broccoli potato soup is delicious Mm. Oh. Uh, unrelated to the show at all, I just really liked the <laughs> potato soup I was eating as I ah. watched it. This episode is actually sponsored by Broccoli Potato Soup. Thank Here's a, an interesting factoid that I didn't catch uh, the, the few times that I've watched it. I guess we killed all the lawyers? 
on Earth? Oh, because no one's rep- yeah. Well, no, no, no. He flat out says, uh, like Shakespeare once said, "Kill all the lawyers." And then he's like, "And you did." And I was like, "We we did." Yes, you the post atomic wars. Lawyers. No lawyer survived. That. Also, they, this That's is bizarre. I guess I don't know how true that is. Uh, so we have the introduction of data pads, uh, which you saw for the first time because this is the late '80s. People don't know how tablets work yet. So data pads in Star Trek are treated like books or pieces of paper, where they're like, "Here's this document you want," and they'll hand the whole pad over, and you're like. Why don't you just send the file? Yeah. They didn't have a concept of it. They're just like, oh, it's like digital paper. That'd Here be you go. impossible for everyone to have their own <laughs> super complex device right? in their right? hand. That'd be way the too whole series. You'll watch it like, oh, this is how we got touch screens, but they didn't know how it was going to work quite yet. That's, but that is what inspired yeah. the developers at Apple, probably. Uh, no, 100% it is. Very it, cool. It's like almost guaranteed. Wow. Um, uh, I'm glad they could think outside of the <laughs> the sheet of paper, as it were. Yeah. I want to talk about the saucer separation, yes. which happens in episode one. There's two big right. things that happen in episode one. That never happen again. feel like massive parts of Star Trek that like you, you when you're introducing a series, you wouldn't quite do, which is you separate the ship into two pieces mm-hmm. for almost no reason. Mm-hmm. And then also you have an omnipotent opponent, which right. seems crazy hard as your first villain oh. and a villain that comes in and just criticizes your entire existence. If you don't mind, I can explain both of them. Please do. So the first one is the uh, saucer separation, right? This is a pilot. They're looking to impress whoever is watching this with whatever they can get. And at this moment in time, computer graphics are the newest thing and the newest way that they can show the spaceships without having to build actual physical models. I think they did do some models. Mo- I mean, these are models. These, these are models, but they can enhance it with these computer graphics now, which they couldn't before. Right. So they can make these models and things look even better and even more like space with lasers and effects and the, the shots of the Enterprise look great. The opening shot is so, awesome. The money has been spent there. Yeah. And so they want to show what the potential is for the visuals of this show, right? The same thing with the makeup and the costumes and the da 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 da. And the big finale. And the big finale. <laughs> uh, with having an omnipotent enemy, it wasn't the omnipotence, it was the teleportation. At that time, when you're working uh, with a budget, you want a way to get to point A to point B and have them be as different as possible and the easiest way to do that is beaming or teleporting there's no reason for Picard to be beaming all over to these different locations or using the holodeck but if they're being threatened by this force that can teleport them to a courtroom in the middle of nowhere or a field or wherever he needs them to be they can use any set that they want and show the diverse range of things they can do this is not just uh, on the starship with people talking we can have full sets and full adventures that are out there. Yeah, I do want to show the dynamics of that. Yeah. Did the original have holodecks that were that complex? You mean the original series? Oh, no, no, no. No, Holodeck is is next generation technology and it is the fucking best. Yeah, because that's another interesting example of showing we can be anywhere. Yes, it was the best decision they could ever make. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like Riker doesn't even know about holodecks. It's like, new. Yeah, it's so it's so it's the first time. Okay, you're introducing it to the audience like as a concept, and it becomes a staple for the future because the holodeck can go wrong. You can get holodeck characters. You can be sure homes. You can be anyone you want. That's how we get Fistful of Datas. It's a holodeck episode. <gasps> 
Now it makes sense. Spoilers. <laughs> well, well, wait, I, wait. It's it a is? format of an episode. You've you come to learn that holodeck episodes kind of are self-contained little adventures with the characters playing. Yeah, they were like, we want to jump genres to it's a the noir best. story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, or a western. And yeah. you get to learn more about the interests and hobbies of the characters. So the saucer separation, yeah. was uh, still not important at all. Not at all. <laughs> not not it's important. So much time spent. Okay. Separate. <laughs> he has to say the word right. before it can initiate its separation. Yeah. So sequence. part of this also is that they needed to fill time. There yes. was a big argument in the executives about this actually being yep. a two-hour pilot. And yep. Warad and Barry only wanted one. And yep. so they compromised at 90 minutes. And so there was like, what are we filling? And if you notice, when you watch both the, the saucer separation and its realignment or whatever you call it, yeah. there's a whole lot of like tense oh staring oh no. at the view screen. And there's even a repeated movie? shot of Troy in there, I think, where yep. she... She just looks kind of bored, honestly. And some of the reverses are not from that bridge (laughs) (laughs) or that scene or that time or that lighting. (laughs) Oh, really? No. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell that the lighting's a little bit different. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we all see through this because we're also specifically looking for this. Yeah. Uh, I love the lighting on the underside of the consoles next to um, Troy and Riker. Also, the chairs don't have bottoms, which I've never noticed before. What What the? Right? It's like a lawn chair. Oh, (laughs) yeah. They're very reclined. It's like floating. It's such a 90s deck right because yeah. of the carpet for oh my one God. thing i wrote it looks like a 1990s like saturn interior of yeah, a car wait a, describe the carpet to me so there is like a there's like a light uh what is it like a pinkish salmon almost salmon carpet sand color uh, on the bridge Lots. of the enterprise in fact the whole enterprise mostly is carpet i think engineering even has carpet which if you picture like a 90s car like a buick and the carpet on the floor of that that's what it all is <laughs> got it there's a lot of wood paneling as wood well paneling. which is also super yeah. 90s like light leather Speaking of the Enterprise design, yeah. uh, not only do they have a lovely bridge, they have a smaller bridge known as the, the Battle, Battle bridge. bridge. The thing that I wanted to mention that plot-wise, it mm. does make a lot of sense to separate the ship. Yeah. Uh, and it was used again in the new Star Wars films, the second of the Star three Trek? new ones. No. Oh, Star, Star Wars. Wars. Yeah. yeah. Oh, 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 I see. Yeah. What you mean. When when it's like, okay, send off the pods and gotcha, we're going to trick gotcha. them by send misdirection. Right. It's all about the misdirection, which they really weren't explaining. They no. never said why they separated the ship into, you know, yeah. supposedly the, the population of innocent people and yes. then the these four officers. But yeah. but it was a huge amount of the ship yeah. to only have four people in it. Like somebody <laughs> well, had was... to bunk up with their friend they're because relaxed. their their apartment is the bottom part. No, no, I get it. And actually Chief O'Brien, who's not introduced, I was... did I forgot O'Brien was even yeah. there. So the curly haired uh guy at the yeah. con. He's cute. Yeah, yeah. He's actually a pretty important character. Well, and I didn't no, know he was in important. that episode. <laughs> not important. <laughs> not important. Shut He's up. a pretty ancillary character to the show. <laughs> um no, but that was to show uh, the cap- capabilities of this new version of the Enterprise. Huh. It was to show what it can do, the holodeck, the separation. And that's the... presumably a redress of an old set. Like, is that like yeah, a... Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and also Roddenberry was, was adamant of this ship has families. It was a, a plot point for Picard. I don't get along with kids. Make sure I'm not an ass in yeah. front of children. Whatever. <laughs> yes. uh, and so so he had to have a fail safe that he's showing the audience, yes, there are families. Yes, there are children. But they're going to be okay to go out on adventures. Yeah. We've got this fail safe switch that we can check. We got the party bus that they can, can disconnect. They can disconnect so we can go off and explore and have these adventures and you don't have to worry about these kids dying. And part of that's utopia is you can bring your kids to exactly. work. Exactly. That's that's the They're, draw. The children will not be the red shirts, an original series yep. term. <laughs> Which are now the gold shirts. 
Because, yeah, yeah. So the red shirts were security. So they would always beam down to the planet and they would be the extras that would get shot off because they were security. Now uh, security is gold. And so gold shirt never caught on like red shirt did, but it's it's what it is. So Farpoint Station, Riker's there. We meet him. Yeah. This this beardless, beardless young Riker. Stunning gentleman. Asshole stickler Riker. He asks for an apple and then mysteriously gets it. <gasps> Right. Apple. What yeah. a strange fruit. We meet uh Beverly Crusher and her son. Local babe, Beverly Crusher with local yeah, babe. Wesley the reddest Crusher. of her red hair. Those banks though. Wes one of Wesley's first lines is I consider one of the rudest lines ever, which is if you're wondering about my mom, Commander Riker, it's not that she's unfriendly. Yeah. She's just shy around men she doesn't know. Yeah. And she's like, Wesley, shut the fuck I up. Know. I know, I know. That's, I don't know. It seems like an appropriate thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> she was a little cold towards Riker. She was cold. Business-like. And I, yeah, yeah, and wh- what is her, why is her demeanor so? Because you. Because she's you, a hot babe. She's, she's got to shut babe. it down. It's true. <laughs> but also, I think they're really establishing that Starfleet is a military institution and uh, at the get-go. And then once you warm up to people, once you become a crew, now you can let that down and sort of breathe a little bit. Speaking of military uh, and and chain of command. Yeah. I was a little upset by the way we shortly at thereafter also meet Jordy. Yeah. And he comes up to Riker and yes. Riker's like, oh. excuse me, address me by Stickler first asshole. officer. Mm-hmm. And it, it seemed, it was like, what the fuck? You didn't do that to Beverly Crusher a moment ago. This seems really. Do you know why? Because Beverly Crusher outranks him. What? Chief medical officer is the senior ranking uh, officer on the ship. What? Even above the captain. No. Because the chief medical officer is the only person that can tell the captain that they're unfit for duty. So, what? <gasps> yeah. Oh, snap. Wish we had that in the United States government. <laughs> can But Riker can relieve him. Riker could relieve him. This is so interesting. Chain of command fluctuates based on the situation. <sighs> Xander, you're blowing my mind. I know. That is bonkers. Right? So yeah, we meet we meet Jordy played by Lavar Burton, yes, who gets third billing by the way in, in the credits. Rainbow. Reading Rainbow was not only out; Roots had been like ten oh, years before. Gotcha. But yeah, I actually didn't know Reading Rainbow started in '83, yeah. so yeah. that's kind of where he was he also found doing the a lot of sweet stuff. spot. It's TV. interesting because that's a hosting gig, yeah. not an acting yeah. gig. So to, to uh, have both of those I mean, airing. Most people who can do one well really suck at the other, right, Xander? <laughs> I'm not getting in the, under the shade tree. JK, JK. Riker. Just being self-deprecating over here. <laughs> no. Riker goes on board. He meets the icy uh, version of Picard, mm-hmm. who's like just stern as hell. They're both very uh, militaristic. Yay, he didn't pass the test yet. Picard's dealing with some shit, too. Yeah, no kidding. I love Riker's briefing of that, which yeah. is... Here, watch this recap. Watch the scene we just <laughs> shot a few minutes ago. With a really impressive security camera right. angles. Yeah. yeah. But this is for the audience. This is because they were worried that the plot was too complicated or things were happening too fast yeah. because they were used to the 1960s audience who had this slow blur- burn plot. They were moving too quickly for them. Well, they are kind of mashing two plots together. They it's not are. quite an A plot and a B plot. It's two different plots that they yeah. mush in right right so this is the recap that's more for the audience than anything because an hour and a half is a long thing i did like riker's line of you know he finishes the briefing and turns away he's like he calls that a little adventure yeah. <laughs> so that is where we see riker first forming respect for captain picard uh-huh. of like oh that's why he was like this because oh, that's this big situation daddy picard. Going, big daddy picard. <laughs> i feel like we kind of skimmed over the meat of mm. the first part of the episode, it is. It does feel like a part one and two. Yeah. And um, 
the the whole courtroom scene with Q yes feels over the top to me. I Does mean, it? Oh, you mean the spotlight with him being like lifted up <laughs> and that makeup? Oh, yeah. I wrote, uh, hold on, I have some very good notes for that. Uh, the remote control chair of my dreams. <laughs> uh, th- and this outfit that Q is wearing is the Q outfit. It becomes like the symbolic Q outfit. Oh, I called it a queen of hearts look. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah that's, absolutely. that's totally true. <laughs> it had like wooden eagles on it. Yeah, it was like whatever they could get, they just glued it to like a remote control chair. And just... I saw a little nugget when it was leaving his special chair. Yeah, it was going backwards, and you could see it had giant robotic legs that they had just not lit and covered in black yeah. fabric, and it was in a black so hallway. Good. And if you look closely, you can see. But I guess the contrast was up high enough on oh, most really? televisions. Yeah, 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 you when can... you watch it in high def, you see that, but before nope. you did not. Yeah, high def te- television like it changes a lot. You can see the makeup so much yep. more, and they still did a very good job. They really did. It's, the, I'm not slamming the talent of that; like it's amazing. But like what they could see on the viewers then versus now yeah. is much different. Uh, yeah. a, a few yeah. other things about this scene that I love: uh, just the rabble rousing crowd. <laughs> yeah. The bailiff that basically just rings a cowbell over and over. He's a little yeah. person. It's a little and, exploitative. Um, it is indeed. It's a. It's not a cowbell. It's a gong. Is it? It's or no? Tiny no. It's, but it's it's a it's, cowbell. It's like, a cowbell with like a rope situation. Who knows? Though, right? It's That's so it's strange. Like a knockoff prop from whatever like kung fu knockoff <laughs> racist thing they were working on at the time. Absolutely. And and then and then right before you know the commercial break, it really, it really digs deep with Picard. Yeah. Explaining that he will represent all of humanity, and you can now test us. Acting. Yeah. The acting chops come out. Yeah, they needed to have that grandiose nature, that Shakespearean kind of moment, that weight, right? Apparently on set, he was a nightmare the first like couple of episodes. Really? Because he was taking it so, so seriously, like method acting on set, like it was a stage show, and the rest of them were like LA whatever actors, not Marina Sardis, but you know, the, the ga- j- casual nature of a show. So they all kind of gelled, and he was on the outside, and the, the, I heard the set would get like icy cold. Later on, he cracks and like jokes around with them and like like gets in with it and you can kind of see it in the performance but in this you can definitely tell like Denise Crosby and uh and Patrick Stewart Tasha Yar and 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 Picard are there to act they are yeah it feels like they are auditioning constantly in this episode I agree and prove that this is not some dumb sci-fi show this is acting in real art so is let's fast forward a little bit to like where we meet McCoy so like this guy this this guy is not identified as McCoy no who's McCoy this admiral this old old admiral oh yeah that we get a very brief scene with this was just intended to be a cameo just because right yeah and uh it's really special because deforest kelly who plays bones he's the doctor from the original series that's who that old man is uh he didn't really get to be a part of the the reboots or things like that later on he didn't make he didn't live to make other cameos he was older for the cast of star trek the original series anyway and so this was this is kind of really special, and you got to see that curmudgeonly old uh, doctor that doesn't have a place on this starship anymore. Right now, he actually is still playing the same character, though they don't refer to him, right? I think so. I think that's the idea because they even say like he's a hundred and seventy something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the the implication. But I don't know if they had the rights to those characters at the time, so they couldn't directly reference. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't oh, know. interesting. 
but they were trying not to be heavy-handed and over-explain yeah. things too. So yeah. that may have been their that's way of doing it. Pretty key. That. They wanted to move on from the show, from the old series, but still like give the motifs. Like that's when he points out Data is kind of yeah. like a Vulcan, so, right? So on these starships, and you'll find this as you watch every Star Trek, there is a someone learning to be human. There is Spock learning to be human. There's Data learning to be human. Later on, you'll meet like T'Pol. Seven or of nine. Seven of nine is a good example, or the EMH from Voyager. Like that's from Star Trek Voyager. Exactly. There are always characters that are an outside perspective because they lend us the window for us to look at ourselves. And why do we do the things that, that we do? Love that. That's what Star Trek's about. Data doesn't really get there this episode yet. Nope. He, he definitely doesn't through the series, but Brent it's like... Spiner is an amazing actor. Yes, he really is. And fun fact, Bonnie's aunt like lived next to him when he was in this time period yeah. and would like feed him because he was a poor struggling actor, <sighs> so they have a connection with Brent Spiner. <laughs> That's awesome. I thought that he was one of the few out of the gate that my recollection of what that character becomes mm -hmm. was not vastly different. And not he, vastly different, but different enough because there's so so much subtlety. Yeah, and and his he had specific character choices that I mm. don't think uh, I think some of them were a little over the top or underwhelming in the case of Worf. I think like he later develops this viewpoint of all Klingons have a warlike mentality yes. of every situation and that's the point of view, which he kind of did in this hallway scene with Q and then he yeah. didn't later on. He's like, Captain, what's this over here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but uh, Data's viewpoint was clear throughout, I thought. And and this remember, this is like kind of the first time that we're seeing the concept of an android too. So he's got to lay out all of these things. You gotta remember like where computers were at that time. Like it was unfathomable that there could be a computer that could talk back to you, much less coherent thoughts, you know? So they had to Don't establish- Don't tell Alexa, she'll be upset. Exactly, yeah, Siri's always listening anyway, so whatever. Um, <laughs> they had to establish, no, this is a computer, and this is how someone would play a robot at that time. It's to rattle off things as if you gave a chain of command, or a, a command block or something. They, they must have given them a little direction to like be a little bit human, because he definitely yeah. gives like some smug responses. Yeah. Definitely during- uh, That's what, Brent Spiner, though, acting through it. Yeah, when he gets up after like having been knocked down and yeah. says, all systems operate. Rating. And, he's yeah. like he's like definitely giving a wink to Riker on exactly that yeah and I think that's what makes it so charming he took so long to process that when they both are <laughs> are like hit and knocked down Riker and Data they're they're yeah. on, on the planet towards the end right. and uh, Riker woke first hey, uh, are, is it, he asks if Riker is okay but in a Data like way yeah, and he's yeah. like yeah man what about you and he takes like ten full seconds right. To figure out his systems are still operating. Full diagnostic. Because, full diagnostic, yeah. Because DOS computer right there. That's the same thing of like, that's the actor who doesn't know the parameters of this new technology. How long does it take me to run a diagnostic? I don't know at this time. Later on, you kind of figure it out. Oh, those things are kind of, kind of breeze through. But we need to establish that those happen. Something that doesn't get breezed through is mm -hmm. the first look between Deanna Troy and Commander Riker. Zadi. Oh. Holy <laughs> moly. Uh, will you tell us what it is Zadi? Er Zadi, yeah. Can we tell that that is? So in, in Next Gen, we get introduced to the concept of a Betazoid, which is a new alien, which Deanna Troy is. So we have these empathic... Wait. Yeah. Oh, oh, we. She's called a Betazoid. Yes. Okay. Cool. She's from she's Beta Z, which is a little confusing. She's from Beta Z. Her, the, well, she's half Betazoid because she's half human as well, which oh, is yeah, reminiscent to Spock. Betazoid shame thrown from 
Zorn or something? Zorn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so some some quick backstory about that, too. Marina Sirtis is the actress who plays Deanna Troy. She has an English accent, right? A British-English accent. On the set, they told her to come up with a Betazoid accent. And she's <laughs> oh, like... Oh, that's what that is? Yeah. She's like, what does that mean? I thought she was like a Greek actress because the accent that's her name is very Greek. Too, Greek. Yeah, yeah. And she looks at the part. That's a made-up accent. Then... Because uh, I'm sorry to get so into this. No, no. no. Uh, put a pin in that, okay? Uh, Gene Roddenberry, creator of Star Trek, right? Uh, wrote his wife into the pilot of the original, Majel Barrett. She's the number one. She's the 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 second in command in the pilot of the first episode of Star Trek. They didn't want a woman in command. They didn't want her because she was his wife, or they were dating at the time, or whatever. She goes out. She dyes her hair blonde with a with bleach. Gets cast again as Nurse Chapel, and under the radar because women are so dispensable and interchangeable becomes part of Star Trek and is and now uh fast forward to next generation Majel Barrett is the voice of the computer <gasps> it's Gene Roddenberry's wife she's always been this voice of the computer she still continues to be to this day she will also play a somewhat comical role throughout this series as Deanna as well. Troy's mother so when she comes in in that role uh, Majel Barrett can't do the Betazoid accent. So Marina Sirtis is like, why doesn't my Betazoid mother have this accent? And they're like, oh, well, you know, maybe uh, she gets it from her father. Then an actor comes in to play her father. He doesn't have the accent either. So Marina Sirtis, this is at that why panel. Why can't she just uh, work with them to right. teach her, her unique accent she makes? Because yeah. she was so far down on the totem pole as talent, like no one yeah, was listening to yeah. her or listening to her decisions. So she was like, now I'm the only one that's doing this weird accent that is not Betazoid. It comes from nowhere and I'm stuck with it. <laughs> what is the accent she chose? I, I mean, how would you... Greek, uh, English It just sounds sort of... Mm. British, I don't but have those feelings, it's Captain. more. <laughs> Marina Sirtis did say about this episode that it was difficult to watch the pilot with my hands over my eyes. I didn't yeah. feel like it was working very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's particularly embarrassed about her own if performance. You can no, look she's up, incredible. She's uh, incredible. She, she's it's not written a... very well, unfortunately. She's yes. written yeah. to be super emotional. She's yeah. directed to just like look worried for 90% of the episode. Right. Oh my God. She finally smiles at the end when she says joy and gratitude twice in a row. Yep. Like yep. it's just, it's not enough to give her, unfortunately. It's almost like a Christmas carol or We're something. Gonna th- we're going to see her come alive a lot more later I want to talk yes. more about this position in general because to me- Of the counselor? Uh, uh, what a Betazoid's power is oh, God. seems absolutely the, nonsense. The range fluctuates. It doesn't make any sense. So a Betazoid is uh, someone who can intuit emotions or maybe this is mm. a half Betazoid's power. Nope, nope, Betazoid's. And it seems um, absolutely useless. You can't read minds. You can't. It's like, oh, wow. I'm sensing you are angry at me because you are yelling. What? Why is this yeah. helpful at all? Oh I mean, it, it played a really big role in this episode because yes. we're getting closer and closer to finding out that there there's these little hints. I won't say anything that spoils until mm. we get there, but there are these little oh, you can hints talk that about there it. is. We it, yeah. Well, I want to save it for the end of the episode mm-hmm. because it's such a surprise and I have completely forgotten. <laughs> uh, but there is this hint, um, Zorn or whatever, the, the weird creepy guy that's really Monster overacting the with the uh, long blonde hair guy yeah 
That's how they do another alien. It's just old guy with long hair. Woo, weird. Yeah, super <laughs> weird. Uh, and and he he's talking to something that's not there. And Deanna yeah. Troy senses something bigger. No, it's bigger. It's not in this room, but it's on this planet. But it's big and it feels. Yeah. So I guess it's kind of like with this power, you can sense how many people are in a room. It's kind of vague. Like yeah. they they, they and they keep it, it vague. And they, that's and that's kind of a gift the writers did, which is yeah. like let's not define this too much so we can do anything. They with can it. do whatever they want. And that's what they do with techno babble in general. When yep. We're talking about a lot of science solutions throughout Star Trek. Keep an eye out for like if we just put these words together and say let's change the frequency or vary the frequency. This solves our problem. Absolutely. Well, it's an interesting part of the writing. Is like so yeah. these mysteries. Just mm-hmm. as you pointed out, Becca is like, oh, she can sense something big. That's a hint as to what the station really is, right? right. But we wouldn't know that. We don't know that until the very end. Here's the fun thing about Star Trek: the techno babble makes sense. It's nonsense words. There's, there's consistency. But there's consistency yeah. and there's concepts behind them. Yes. So if you do break it down and you start paying attention, you can tell. I can tell you what a level four diagnostic is. I've started to solve some problems from engineering. What's a level four diagnostic? It's the level of how long it'll take to go thoroughly through the systems and tell you what is wrong with it. But it's something they could throw out you know, as technobabble. I uh, am part of a Star Trek RPG show called Clear Skies on Q Times every Monday night. Uh, and I play the chief engineer. And I have a technobabble table. So I have them broken down into categories so I can say... Did you say, make this? Yeah. But there are three columns so I can say, uh, oh yeah, I just need to fluctuate the, the nano uh, emitters. And I can just boop, boop, boop and make up a problem. But there's some general sense of, I kind of understand what you have to do. Yeah. Can I shepherd us along to some scenes please, I want to talk about? Please do. No, we need okay. it. Okay. So there was the heart to heart between Captain Picard and Riker where they have some yes. tea together. So Picard presents Riker with a puzzle. He says... Right. I heard with your last commander, you refused to beam <laughs> him down because you were worried about your captain's health. Would you ever be- defy my order in such a way? Play Riker. Oh, uh, absolutely. What? Excuse me? I'm your commanding officer. Respect authority. Well, you'll find that if you open the manual that that is actually protocol, that it is the first officer's duty to tell the captain when they are making a mistake and you need to stay on the starship for the safety of the entire crew and I will beam down on the away team. Well done. I accept you. you. (laughs) Also protect me from children. Yeah, protect me from children. (laughs) I like this aspect of this a lot because Kirk was always going down a lot to uh, the surface in the on the original series and he is kind of important yeah. so like it makes a lot of logical sense and also makes someone like Riker be the adventurous one and go around yep. do all the combat scenes right yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. oh that's interesting because yeah. I saw this I was like okay it's about the heart to heart but really they were setting up the precedent this is not going to be a Kirk kind of captain exactly. yes. get used to it don't yeah. think it's weird that's why Riker's here until it does become that because they want him down they want well, Patrick Stewart well, acting yeah. yeah there are some episodes where he definitely takes the lead yeah, on yeah. things but for the most part they're very good again yeah. you point out how consistent they are with their techno babble, yes. they are consistent on following those rules too. Once they found out that people were watching, they created the Bibles and really stuck to it. Yes. Because they're like, oh, this is why the uniforms change color. It's not because of a makeup thing. It's because they wanted to reinvent the uniforms or, you know, they, they really create reasons for everything. I need to read this Bible so I can memorize Don't. tidbits. Yeah, it, you, you'll get to it. Like you'll, you, it'll come to you as you watch through because they'll explain it to you. I would like to do a whole bonus episode just on the Bible, actually, right. which I have. Yeah. I have a copy of. Uh, and then um, I also wanted to mention a scene in the med bay with Jordy yeah. and Doctor Crusher, where we find out that his visor that allows him to see all types of anything, mm-hmm. uh, which is very, very useful, is also absolute 
excruciating pain at all points in time. That's such an interesting fact I don't remember. Yeah. But do they kill the nerves so he's not just like constantly in pain or what's the deal? He doesn't do anything at the moment. Uh, he says, I know there's nothing you can do. I've heard this a lot of, uh, and this is again speaking to the era of, um, there was a lot of like literature that was going out, especially for schools of, of incorporating disability into, and, and, and I think they were calling it handicap uh, people at the time into society and into these stories for more representation. It yeah. was really at the forefront of people's minds and these stories weren't getting told. And so the conversation, just the dialogue of Jordy saying, yeah, I've heard this a bunch of times. It's him getting out the exposition in a way that's not an after school special of like, I'm blind, but I can do everything just as well as everyone else. Mm-hmm. But then Which there's would be a, condescending. And right. Condescending. But there's also this start you can kind of see of disability as a superpower, which is another trope that you don't want to fall into. But for the time, it was revolutionary. And it was a new way to look at introducing a, ca- a character that had something that, that made them it, that interesting. And as I recall, they don't make... Uh, his blindness a huge point of many of the episodes his utility comes as his engineering skill which is really great because the temptation from like the old background would be to like a Velma style where oh we knock his visor off he can't see (laughs) let's see what we can do there and they never really kind of do that they they play with the concept of what if you know but you know they I think they really treat it well but that's coming from my able person perspective too I felt like diversity despite having mostly white people in the lead parts of the cast because uh, like Jordy and uh, Worf aren't very prominent in this episode. No. That we do have like, yet. yeah, yet, exactly. Uh, we do have three women who are pretty prominent. I believe in the... this episode passes the Bechtel test and a lot of Next Generation does, uh, a surprising amount of Next Generation passes the Bechtel test. And we did not have T- two women, two talking, women about talking and not did not a mention a male character. Was there something with either with Yar or Troy or Crusher? I feel like Crusher and, and Troy didn't even meet. And yeah, Yar I, I and Troy maybe setting maybe not the up pilot. potential for those things yeah. to happen and strong female characters in good positions. Bechdel test doesn't necessarily point yeah. to the gender representation, yeah. but, but I did see a lot of diversity within a lot of the crew of the Enterprise, which yes. is nice. A lot of the people that came on at different points were from a lot of different backgrounds, which yeah. is nice to see. Yeah, and and something that we didn't really get to see in the original series because it was all very militaristic. We're transferring the Navy to starships. You mm-hmm. know what I mean. Um, uh, one thing I did want to say about that though too was uh, with the, the there was something that recently came out that someone watched all of Star Trek and rated each of the series based on the Bechdel test and whether they passed or not or the percentage of episodes that passed and Voyager was huge because of Janeway obviously yeah. but Next Gen was like 75 or 80 percent which Whoa. is unheard of today really that is I would fantastic. definitely look up those figures Very there was an cool. article that came out yeah all right. Well, uh, and moving along to another scene that I want to hear, uh, whatever magical <laughs> tidbits that I know I'm going to learn, um, is Deanna Troy and Riker uh, obviously have hooked up before. Have and, they? Well, definitely. They have a history, <laughs> which they're trying to not mention in front of anyone else. Yes. But really, it comes out when they're on the planet on the base and things are they're being shot at or whatever from something in space that looks like a very very large ship mm. and uh and then he's going out and she's go- and he, as her commanding officer Riker says you three go back to the ship and she says no but wait right. William if you should be hurt is the line she right, had to right, say right. oh yeah if you should be hurt 
And then he just like shuts her down and yeah. brings her back. And she's like, sorry, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing is that they're they're establishing this dynamic. Like, how do exes work together yeah. in a military sort of environment with a chain of command? She um, straight up talked in his brain, which, by the way, yes. so they have telepathy. In... Well, I don't want to get too much into it because they will explain some things later, but they left it intentionally vague right now with the Imzadi. That's where we were going with this. Maybe you need to bone before you can be telepathically <laughs> connected. Maybe. Because uh, she didn't do it to anyone else. Right. So the Imzadi, as you can kind of infer, is the special connection between two people, and it might be involved with Betazoid uh, mating, maybe, or at least the, the dating ritual part of it. Yeah, I got that. Yeah. I mean, I have that. Right, right. <laughs> with, 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 <laughs> you've got yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, so while where you were saying uh, the Betazoid, Deanna Troy, could could feel um, emotions and things like that, full Betazoids can, do have telepathy and can communicate that way. Oh, that's an actual skill. That's an I actual give that skill. Credit. Yeah. Deanna Troy, though, can do that with her Imzadi because the connection is so strong, yeah. she's able to. Yeah. Do you only get the, one Imzadi at a time? Well, I guess that depends on uh, you. It's like a BFF necklace. Because they do explore the aspects of like polyamorous relationships and things like that. Um, Betazoid weddings are notorious for everybody attending naked. Uh, that's just part of it. I want to go to That'll a... come up in a future episode. <gasps> yeah. I, I vaguely remember yeah. that episode yeah, because Bolians you get to see some point. outline of Deanna yeah. Troy yeah. <laughs> looking like even looking like a snack. About to take a bite of <laughs> an apple. <You> remember. <laughs> Surprisingly progressive again for the time uh, because like it, this was again sort of at the height or not the height but the, there was still like the AIDS crisis was still a thing and drugs and drug use was leading to further AIDS cases and so there was a lot of sexual stigma that was still out there unprotected sex and STIs and, and things like that so to have a show on prime time that could be a kids show talking about these issues is really something special. Let's talk about uh, Crusher Picard. Yeah, that was yeah, really and oh, I cry still. Uh, oh. it, it's the losing a dad thing and uh, like losing somebody. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yes. And having people connect over someone that we've mutually lost. So it seemed like Picard didn't even remember Wesley's existence no. for a second. And I love that because he doesn't really see kids. He's like, oh yeah, you had a kid. I didn't even think of that. But the thing is, I'm friends with people that that would happen. If they showed up on my front door, I'd be like, oh yeah, you've got a kid. That's a person now. Yeah. Oh shoot. I do like the dynamic of like, this guy's got to run ships that are full of families and he yeah. does not know handle handled children. They had to give him a flaw. That was a great was one. It's too perfect, and it's, it's a, a great, great one. Because yeah. if they made him grumpy, he wouldn't be likable. But if he's grumpy towards kids, that's a funny thing they can play. Yeah. On this scene specifically, so Wesley negotiates with his mom that he'll get to ride up to the elevator, which is called a <laughs> turbo <laughs> lift, and <laughs> but not step out of it. Right. And then which Crusher's is a great like, plan. Yeah. And then Crusher's like, "Oh wow, remember Picard? We have a backstory. Don't let children onto my bridge. Uh, actually, he's, he's not son. on the bridge. He's still in the turbo. I'm lift. not touching yeah. your bridge. I'm not I'm touching, touching your bridge. Exactly. There's touching. a wall. <laughs> and then he." Miraculously, we mm. see growth already. Yeah. Gives permission for Wesley to walk around the bridge, and then they think... go to handycam camera work yeah. where it's really shaky, yep. and it's like, is this a toddler's POV? Oh my god, the so Dutch funny. angle POV yeah. shots. Yeah, so right. Good. That's the same in the in, um in the engineering room yeah, when the they opening. first did that. Yep, it was it's really weird. wobbly. Yeah. It's a very sign of the times, and did not leave. It did not leave a lasting impression. They didn't have a steady cam no. rig at that time. No. I believe that scene that you were talking about is also the Picard and the Wesley Crusher audition scene. 
because oh. Wesley yeah. has to do techno babble That's at a the good thing, yep. and Picard has to be like, "I hate kids." Oh, your dad died. Oh, I knew him. Oh, I'm soft now. So I think those are good auditions. Yeah, scenes. and in and then as it continues the techno babble, yeah. we see a lot of potential from mm-hmm. Wesley of what what he wants Smart to do kid. and what he could do. He, he could really contribute. Mm-hmm. So you could be a kid that's watching that. You could be on the Starship Bridge too. Yes, but he wasn't. What was it about it for you? Like I mm. I think as a kid for me I didn't. He felt I didn't want to be the kid. I wanted to be the adult. Yeah. I yeah. think he, he I felt patronized never, already. Yeah, and yeah. I didn't want to be patronized too as an audience. Yeah, member. yeah, yeah. Same. I and also uh, his, his uniform in this is fine. Uh-huh. It's kind of just boring. But I remember he gets the striped uniform uh, soon, which has like kind of a rainbow a motif to it. Yeah, he joins. Don't like, sort of, tell me well, this. It's okay. This isn't spoiling. It's anything. not really spoiling. He joins sort of like the academy track, and so his it's not a rainbow. It's the three department colors because he could be either anyone. Oh, you're gonna choose your path. Yeah, I'm it's kind of cute, but it does feel like a kid. Outfit, for it does, sure. especially for that time. It's very Oshkosh Bagal. Yes, yeah, 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 onesie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless the uniform, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, can we talk about the puzzle, the overall plot? Yeah. Back to right, Q. Right, right, right. We've had a lot of mystery. We left Q at the yeah. first, uh, within the first thirty minutes. We we left Q. Yeah. Now Q comes back on board and is like, "Did you figure out the puzzle, you stupid, vicious humans?" <laughs> so explain to me the plot. I mean, the whole thing is, is we've got these mysterious things which I'm interested in I want to know why the I want to know why the fabric appears when uh, Crusher wants it I want to know why the apple appears like the stuff going on there is interesting and this whole uh, emotion that she senses but we don't get a real hint towards any solution that's what I don't understand oh well kind of so I think what they're doing is they're alluding to the Q continuum which we'll find out later what Q actually is Q is not just one being Q is a, a collective of beings it's hard oh to my grasp. god no 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 they did this in Rick and Morty so I understand oh gotcha so <laughs> that's kind of what Troy was sensing as the Q collective in that there is a lot of a lot of entities sort of working as one okay uh, mixed with what was whatever was happenings in on the planet planet side right so the test was uh q was testing um humanity to see if they would make the correct decisions if everything was provided for them if the circumstances were perfect in this scientific experiment would humanity be good or would they be bad i was under the assumption that it was uh, the creature itself which was the base it turned out could produce matter out of energy yes and was answering their desires yes so what does that have to do they, with Q? The creature was being tortured. They were getting just a little drop of energy, which right. is what they feed on. And in exchange, they were making apples appear and perfect fabric. Yes. But they were just taking orders from anybody yeah. who was there. Right. And so this is why this society had trapped yes. this giant floating <laughs> jellyfish because it was a replicator. and built uh, it was a replicator, which is go. technology we'll find out about later. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was in the original series, no? I don't no. think so, no. Oh, well. No, don't quote me on that. But before we find out that the space station, that the the base on on the planet is yeah. alive, and that's the secret, it right. is this thing of like, did you figure it out, Picard? Yeah. Did you figure it out? I'm not going to give you any hints. Figure it out. One of the hints that were given is that the alien ship that appears, a very mm-hmm. UFO looking alien. Yeah, ship, I, I guess it's add. what they had on the stock graphics in Maya for 3D. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's way bigger than the Enterprise because yes. they can just deal with uh, ratio. Yeah. yeah, the hint being that uh, it fires on the city as opposed to the sta- the station, right? Yes. 
Um, well, so to kind of explain these questions and kind of kind of break that down, if you were Q and you wanted to find something in this expanded universe to test the humans, this would be this scenario would be the perfect scenario. So let's say we zoom out a bit and that Q is more like a dungeon master. This this scenario, this adventure would be a perfect module to send my little humans on to sort of test them. Right. And they can't complain that they didn't have everything that they needed because uh, th these creatures are able to provide things. They but, they turn... but it doesn't even tell them they are creatures. Exactly. So what what he's trying to do is, what do you do with this lone person that is, or the society of people that is stranded? Uh, do you destroy them because uh, to save this creature? Because that would be the thing, is that you sacrifice mm. the many for the good of this one. Or do you sacrifice one for the good of many, which is the motif for like all of Star Trek. Mm. But the one is way bigger, so it wins. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also two because it's uh, girlfriend, so, mate. Right. I wrote my note in all caps like, space jellyfish is what Star Trek is about. <laughs> Aww. Well, that's the whole thing is that this problem, Picard found a way. There... Um, Kirk had the thing of there are no no-win scenarios. There's something yes. called the Kobayashi Maru, which is supposed to be in this impossible thing, right, that he he, he falls, finds a solution for. That's sort of the basis of what Picard is doing. He's put in this difficult situation of explaining all of humanity's past transgressions, fixing this, and taking care of his crew, and he's got to do it all uh, before Q does something mysterious like wipe them out of existence. So this is a no-win scenario that he's sort of negotiating and finding out a win for that helps everybody. Oh my gosh, you really showed me how it fits into the larger picture. Yeah. I've heard of Kobayashi Maru. Maru. Which is not the right way to say that because i speak japanese it should be kobayashi maru like circle but whatever i won't get into so it. say kobayashi it like maru. that there you go there, yeah oh yeah. you'll piss off some trekkies it's a battle simulation where like yes. uh, some klingon warbirds or no did i say warbirds yeah, no, that, yeah. is that romulan romulan warbirds uh klingon birds of prey birds of prey yeah they attack you pretty much are trying to evacuate the ship it. you can't win <laughs> Yeah, yeah a no-win scenario. I've looked this simulation. up recently. Yeah. Um, but it's really interesting that, of course, for people that need a refresher, what mm. happens is Picard says, send all of our phaser energy down into the jellyfish that is trapped under this base on the planet so yeah. it has enough power to fly away yep. with its jellyfish mate and they go off floating <laughs> into the the goodness and they do of it, space jellyfish style. and they they have sort of like these horse tails yeah. Yeah. that one slightly pink and one slightly Again, blue and height they, of computer graphics yeah, at the time they brush against each other in a very erotic way <laughs> for an extended oh mine was pixelated when that happened yours really? was unedited Oh, ours? No. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 you, got yeah, yeah. The, you got the sensor bar? Yeah, <laughs> you got to get it uncut. I have the parent guides on <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Got to get it raw. I love kind of, the one of the, the last lines in the episode is the one that also kind of like brings us into the series, which is, uh, so some problem, Riker? Oh, just hoping isn't this isn't the usual way our missions will mm -hmm. go, sir. Oh, no, number one. I'm sure it'll be much more interesting. Yes, and then he says the thing. He says the thing. Every captain has a catchphrase. Oh, yeah. And can we say it all well, together? Is, well, actually, I don't know. Did, doesn't he not say his traditional catchphrase? No, he does. He does. Well, he says one of them. Ah. One he word says, of it, I'm yeah. thinking in particular. He's, exactly. He says, engage. engage. Exactly. But it doesn't say, not make it so, let's but. see what's out there or something. Was that mm -hmm. not a line in there? Hey, 
Maybe. They can all be that up. catchphrases. Yeah, he's got a lot of catchphrases. Wubba dub dub, you know? Wubba dub dub. Anyway, uh, but when he says engage, I always go, he said the thing. <laughs> I, I sense us coming to the end, and there's I, mm. one line that I wanted to mention that was my favorite. That's yeah. just going to be my last thing I got to say. Uh, it's when old Mark Twain, sorry, the old, <laughs> the the original series, what's his name? Mark Twain, you're right. Yeah, Mark Twain. <laughs> yeah. McCoy is the, McCoy, yeah. McCoy, Bones. Yeah. yeah. Bones. Uh, he says. <laughs> Mark Twain makes an appearance later in the series in regard oh yeah that's true and i have seen that episode it's the one um he says in regards to the ship treat her like a lady and Mm. she'll always bring you home which is why bones has no place on this enterprise that's correct he called called data boy so many times yeah i never heard him call anyone boy well, he was just being himself. Yeah, he's gotten <laughs> so crotchety, and he already was crotchety. Yeah. So, guys, that was episode one, Encounter at Farpoint. I'm excited for the journey, the trek that you're about to go on. Ah. Oh, my God. One uh, and you have to make step a big decision. A oh, for a Betazoid. <laughs> uh, the big decision is, and it, there, you don't know what the weight is, but are you a trekker or are you a trekkie? You don't have to answer now. I'm a Trekkie. Okay. I've What's never the heard Trekker before. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Ooh. Just hold on to it. Let's see what you'll get into the community. You'll make a decision for yourself whenever you want. And Jake's looking it up right now. <laughs> no, you can't because we got to close out the I'm episode. I'm not, but I'm telling you what we will be reviewing on our next episode, yeah? which is episode two of season one, which is called The Naked Now. I'll tell you Ooh. the synopsis, which is the crew of the Enterprise is subjected to an exotic illness that drives them to an unusual manic behavior akin to a type of alcoholic intoxication <laughs> and let me tell you things get sexy also yeah. i think we're gonna need to have whiskey for that episode uh, that's oh. a good plan a couple of things that i would just want to quick fire these off some nods to original series uh jordy says sensors which is a nod to how spock or leonard nimoy used to pronounce the word sensors <laughs> i think that was about it anyway okay that's a good one that's yeah, a good yeah. Factor. all right well to sign off we should send you to the good time society twitter which is at Good Time Society. And you should definitely visit our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash join slash Good Time Society. I'll also have a link to both of those in the show notes. Thanks for joining us for To Boldly Watch. Did you guys have a good time? I had a real good time. This is all I ever want to (laughs) do. This was way more fun than I thought it would be. (laughs) I'm glad. Welcome to Star Trek. Yeah, guys. We're getting into it. When it comes to this, let's see what's out there. Engage. Boldly Watch. (laughs) You said the thing! (laughs) Bye. Bye.